Welcome once again to Lato's Law. Here's Steve Lato. I'm going to give you a heads up right now. This may be a long video. This without question, the thickest document I've ever brought out here to talk about. And it's an amicus brief filed with the U.S. Supreme Court. And it is one of the funniest things ever written. They might say, Steve, a brief filed with the Supreme Court and it's funny? What's up with that? Well, it makes complete sense because the amicus brief was filed with the court on behalf of the Onion. And the Onion, of course, is a, a, an entity that reports the news, but it's often satire, parody. And the Supreme Court case involves parody. So I've spoken a little bit about this before. A gentleman named Anthony Novak set up a Facebook page a while back where he was mocking the local police department in Parma, Ohio. And the page was up for one day. And he took it down. But, but they arrested him. The Parma Police Department <laughs> arrested him because he would put up a Facebook page mocking them. Now, they claim that that's not why they arrested him, but they did later put him on trial, and a jury found him not guilty. So he filed a lawsuit against the police department for retaliation, saying they're retaliating against him for using his First Amendment rights of free speech. And the case got thrown out of court, and the Sixth Circuit Court of Appeals said that he couldn't prove that the arrest was retaliation for what he had done, and that the police officers may have justifiably thought, believed, that they could arrest somebody for a Facebook post that was satire or parody. So we're not talking about threats, for instance, here. We're talking about parody. So when you go to the Supreme Court, you have to request permission and ask them to take your case. And when you do that, other people who have an interest in the outcome of the case can file amicus briefs. An amicus is short for friend of the court. Okay, an amicus brief is filed by somebody who wants to you know, say that they're a friend of the court. They simply want to lend some guidance to this. And so this is all regarding the petition for a writ. That's the writ asking, the petition for the writ is asking the court for permission to bring the case there and for the court to hear the case. Supreme Court turns down the vast majority of cases brought to them, but they might, they might look at this case. So in an attempt to get them to look at the case, the Onion has come along and said, we would like to weigh in on this. We think it's an important issue, and we think that you should take up the writ. Now, here's the funny part. They wrote this as a parody. And it is one of the most brilliant things I've ever seen in my entire life. And when somebody sent me a note yesterday, said, Steve, did you see this? That the Onion has filed an amicus brief with the Supreme Court. My first thought was, oh, we're going to see the Onion using very serious and, and very important language and, and, and dropping the mask temporarily. Oh, no. Oh, no. This is worth every penny. The Onion, this is from their brief, The Onion is the world's leading news publication, offering highly acclaimed, universally revered coverage of breaking national, international, local news events. Rising from its humble beginnings as a print newspaper in 1756, <laughs> The Onion now enjoys a daily readership of 4.3 trillion and has grown into the single most powerful and influential organization in human history. Now, this is a brief filed with the U.S. Supreme Court. And the first paragraph contains a bunch of statements that are not true. 
but they're proving a point. This is what they say on their website, that they've got trillions of viewers and they were founded in 1756. So in addition to maintaining a towering standard of excellence to which the rest of the industry aspires, The Onion supports more than 350,000 full and part-time journalism jobs in its numerous bureaus and manual labor camps stationed around the world. And members of its editorial board have served with distinction in an advisory capacity for such nations as China, Syria, Somalia, and the former Soviet Union. (laughs) On top of its journalistic pursuits, The Onion also owns and operates the majority of the world's transoceanic shipping lanes, stands on the nation's leading edge on matters of deforestation and strip mining, and proudly conducts tests on millions of animals daily. (laughs) Now, again, this is all nonsense. But again, they're proving a point. But don't worry. It actually does get very serious in a really strange way shortly. The Onion's keen, fact-driven reportage has been cited favorably by one or more local courts, (laughs) as well as Iran and the Chinese state-run media. Those statements are actually true. And that's where it gets funny. They start mixing in true statements with their jokes because there have been occasions where Iran and China have had news agencies that picked up Onion stories and republished them as if they were true. (laughs) Along the way, the Onion's journalists have garnered a sterling reputation for accurately forecasting future events. Now, (laughs) again, it's not the job of a journalist to predict the future. But the Onion is pointing out that they've put up joke headlines that later on became true. We'll get there. One such coup was the Onion's scoop revealing that a former president kept nuclear secrets strewn around his beach home's basement three years before it happened. Now, I'm not trying to get political here, but they ran a a headline back in 2017 about the nuclear briefcase being left in the lost and found at Mar-a-Lago. Now, that's not exactly what later happened, but it's kind of funny because they hit a couple points there that would seem to be that they were predicting the future. The Onion files this brief to protect its continued ability to create fiction that may ultimately merge into reality. As the Globe's premier parodists, the Onion's writers also have a self-serving interest in preventing political authorities from imprisoning humorists. This brief is submitted in the interest of at least mitigating future punishment. Now, this is what's brilliant. They're pointing out that the guy in Ohio was jailed. So they're saying... We don't want to get jailed for what we do, and we do the same thing. So here's the thing. They actually do get kind of serious. They actually had several pages of authorities they cite. They cite case law. And they actually had this signed and filed and submitted by a very, very high-powered law firm. But it reads hilariously. And I'd recommend you actually go read this. I'll put a link to the entire opinion in the description below the video. Uh, Americans can be put in jail for poking fun at the government. This was a surprise to America's finest news source and an uncomfortable learning experience for its editorial team. Indeed, Ohio police officers arrest and prosecute men who made fun of them on Facebook might sound like a headline ripped from the pages of The Onion. And it does, by the way. Albeit one is considerably less amusing because its subjects are real. So, when The Onion learned about the Sixth Circuit's ruling in this case, it became justifiably concerned. And they're joking that, like, hey, if it can happen to this guy, it could happen to us. First, the obvious. 
The Onion's business model was threatened. This was only the latest occasion on which the absurdity of actual events managed to eclipse what the Onion staff could make up. (laughs) Second, the Onion regularly pokes its finger in the eyes of repressive and authoritarian regimes such as the Islamic Republic of Iran, the Democratic People's Republic of North Korea, and domestic presidential administrations. So the Onion's professional parodists were less than enthralled to be confronted with a legal ruling that fails to hold government actors accountable for jailing and prosecuting a would-be humorist simply for making fun of them. Third, the Sixth Circuit's ruling imperils an ancient form of discourse. The court's decision suggests that parodists are in the clear only if they pop the balloon in advance by warning their audience that the parody is not true. And that's something that the Sixth Circuit actually said, something to the effect of, it's one thing if you do parody, but you got to tell people it's parody. So in other words, when The Onion runs a headline, and I got a list of them right here, for instance, uh, world death rate holding steady at 100%, (laughs) that they need to say, well, we're talking about the fact that people all die eventually. Like you gotta you gotta break you gotta break the news and, and, and ruin the joke. Uh, CIA realizes it's been using black highlighters all these years. <laughs> Jurisprudence fetishist gets off on technicality. <laughs> Drugs win drug war. Um, those it, it, I think they're funny. Okay, some people might not. But to say, oh, this is a joke, beware, this is a joke, um, would take the fun out of it. And if people don't realize that study reveals babies are stupid or kitten thinks of nothing but murder all day, do you need to be told that's a joke? Seriously. The onion cannot stand idly by in the face of a ruling that threatens to disembowel a form of rhetoric that has existed for millennia. That is particularly potent in the realm of political debate and that purely and incidentally forms the basis of our paychecks. <laughs> See, these guys are funny. And they break their argument, by the way, down into sub-arguments. So the first argument they make is parody functions by tricking people into thinking that it is real, but not for the entire time. You start reading the story going, okay, this sounds familiar. Okay, that got weird. Oh, wait. And it's that moment of realization that makes it funny, right? So they start this paragraph by saying, in Latin, tu stultus s. Translated, you are dumb. The Onion filed a brief with the Supreme Court where a paragraph beginning a major argument on page four says, you are dumb. And then they write, these three Latin words have been the Onion's motto and guiding light since it was founded in 1988 as America's finest news source. Now, that's the year it actually was founded, 88. Leading its writers toward the paper's singular purpose of pointing out that its readers are deeply gullible people. (laughs) Now they're joking. The Onion's motto is central to this brief for two important reasons. First, it's Latin. (laughs) And the Onion knows that the federal judiciary is staffed entirely by total Latin dorks. So here, they're actually calling the Supreme Court dorks. They quote Catullus in the original Latin in chambers. They sweetly whisper, stare decisis into their spouse's ears. They mutter, sui bono, under their breath while picking up after their neighbor's dogs. So the onion knew that unless it pointed out to a suitably Latin rallying cry, its brief would be operating far outside the court's vernacular. 
So they then say the second reason, perhaps mildly more important, is that the phrase, you are dumb, captures the very heart of parody, tricking readers into believing they're seeing a serious rendering of some specific form, like a pop song lyric, a newspaper article, or a police beat, and then allowing them to laugh at their own gullibility when they realize they've fallen victim to one of the world's oldest tricks. The very nature of parody is to catch the reader off guard at first glance, after which the victim recognizes the joke is on him to the extent that it caught him unaware. That quote is from the Court of Appeals in California. Now, The Onion writes it really is an old trick. The word parody stretches back to the Hellenic world, and they explain where parody comes from. And parody goes way, way back into the ancient days, And they say this is not a mere linguistic anecdote. The point is instead that without the capacity to fool someone, parody is functionally useless, deprived of the tools inscribed in its very etymology that allows it again and again to perform this rhetorically powerful sleight of hand. It adopts a particular form in order to critique the form within. So they talk about that, but then they go to point two. Because parody mimics the real thing, It has the unique capacity to critique the real thing. And so much of what The Onion is doing is poking fun at journalism. They are clearly quite often mocking newspapers and news reporting in America. So they use the style of headline and writing and everything that the newspapers actually use, but then they've got these goofy headlines such as, Area man, passionate defender of what he imagines Constitution to be. (laughs) Archaeological dig uncovers ancient race of skeleton people. (laughs) Importantly, parody provides functionality and value to a writer or a social commentator that might not be possible by, say, simply stating a critique outright and avoiding all the confusion of readers mistaking it for the real thing. One of parody's most powerful capacities is rhetorical. It gives people the ability to mimic the voice of a serious authority, whether that's the dry news speak of the Associated Press or the legalese of a court's majority opinion, like the Supreme Court, and thereby kneecap the authority from within. Parodists can take apart an authoritarian's cult of personality, point out the rhetorical tricks that politicians use, and even undercut a government's institution's real-world attempts at propaganda. Uh, Time and again, that's what has happened. The Onion's news stories have become news. For example, in 2012, The Onion proclaimed that Kim Jong-un was the sexiest man alive. (laughs) China's state-run news agency republished The Onion story as true, alongside a slideshow of the dictator himself in all his glory. Uh, The Iranian news agency uncritically picked up and ran with The Onion's headline, Gallup poll, rural whites prefer Ahmadinejad to Obama. (laughs) Domestically, the number of elected leaders who are still incapable of parsing The Onion's coverage as satire is daunting. But one particular example stands out. Congressman John Fleming, who believed that he needed to warn his constituents of a dangerous escalation of the pro-choice movement after reading The Onion's headline, Planned Parenthood opens $8 billion abortion plex. <laughs> now, I know some people would say, Steve, you can't crack jokes about abortion, or you can't crack jokes about this or about that. Well, actually, 
pretty much everything is fair game. I understand there are some things that would be in horribly bad taste. Some things, as they say, might be too soon. But when they say that Planned Parenthood opens $8 billion abortion plex, one of the jokes there is it says they've opened it. How could they have built that with nobody knowing about it? An $8 billion building? <laughs> the point of all this is not that it is funny when deluded figures of authority mistake satire for the actual news. Rather, it's that the parody allows these figures to puncture their own sense of self-importance by falling for what any reasonable person would recognize as an absurd escalation of their own views. And then they cite a couple cases there, including the famous Jerry Falwell versus Hustler magazine case. Uh, and there the courts have said, well, you know, you might not think the joke is in good taste, but it's protected by the First Amendment. Number three, a reasonable reader does not need a disclaimer to know that parody is parody. Parody functions by catering to a reasonable reader, one who can tell that the parody is not real. If most readers of parody didn't live up to this robust standard, then there would be nothing funny about the Chinese government believing that a pudgy dictator was the sexiest man on earth. <laughs> you know that at The Onion, when something like that happens, hey, we just got republished by the National News Agency of China. <laughs> They're like, yes! Context matters, but even a poorly executed parody is ordinarily susceptible to the intellectual grasp of the reasonable reader. Reasonable readers do not need to be told explicitly what they have. No serious trouble figuring out for themselves. Other courts have held that parody published without a disclaimer is nonetheless protected speech. So the Sixth Circuit apparently did say, if the guy had said, this is a parody, this is a parody, he'd be okay. But because he didn't do that, he's not protected. So in this case, the Sixth Circuit ruled that the defendant officers could reasonably believe that some of the man's Facebook activity was not parody because he deleted comments about the page being fake and there was no explicit disclaimer. But just to be clear, this was not a close call on the facts. Mr. Novak's spoof Facebook posts advertised that the Parma Police Department was hosting a pedophile reform event in which successful participants could be removed from the registry and become honorary members of the police department after completing puzzles and quizzes. <laughs> and there are more things that were in there that were clearly over the top, such as the department banning city residents from feeding the homeless people in an attempt to have the homeless population eventually leave due to starvation. Now, if you might say, Steve, I don't know if that's parody. Um, the police department passes laws? Since when does the police department pass a law about feeding homeless people? Like, that should be pretty obvious, I would think. But The Onion points out, not all humor is transcendent. But the quality and the taste of the humor is irrelevant. And keep in mind... That the courts ruled in the Hustler versus Jerry Falwell case that the parody had no redeeming features whatsoever, except that it was funny. <laughs> and quite frankly, I'll take funny. There is no real doubt that reasonable readers would have no difficulty in ascertaining that Parma's finest were not actually 
providing free abortions to teens in a police van, pardoning child sex offenders, or intentionally starving the homeless. And if they'd been accompanied by a disclaimer, would that have really made that big of a difference? Did, did people really need a disclaimer to understand that wasn't real? Under a proper understanding of the reasonable reader test, a disclaimer not only spoils the punchline, but it's redundant. And then finally, it should be obvious that parodists cannot be prosecuted for telling a joke with a straight face. This is... <laughs> this, by the way, is one of the greatest paragraphs ever submitted to the U.S. Supreme Court in any filing. On page 15, they begin by saying... This is the 15th page of a convoluted legal filing intended to deconstruct the societal implications of parody. So the reader's attention is almost certainly wandering. That's understandable. So here's a paragraph of gripping legal analysis to ensure that every jurist who reads this brief is appropriately impressed by the logic of the arguments and the lucidity of the prose. And then there's a big block of text on Latin. De minimis, writ of certiorari, forum non convenius, corpus juris, post hoc ergo propter hoc, actus reus, and so on. See what happened? This brief itself went from a discussion of parody's function to a curveball mocking the way legalese can be both impenetrably boring and belie the hollowness of a legal position. That's the setup and punchline idea again. It would not have worked quite as well if the brief had said the following. Hello there, reader. We're about to write an amicus brief about the value of parody. Buckle up, because we're about to do some crazy things, including commenting on the text form itself. Taking the latter route would have spoiled the joke and come off as more than a bit stodgy. But more importantly, it would have disarmed the power that comes with the form devouring itself. Okay? As Mark Twain put it, the humorous story is told gravely. The teller does his best to conceal the fact that he even dimly suspects that there's anything funny about it. Not only is the Sixth Circuit on the wrong side of Twain, <laughs> but grafting onto the reasonable reader test a requirement that parodists explicitly disclaim their own pretense to reality is a disservice to the American public. It assumes that ordinary readers are less sophisticated and more humorless than they actually are. This court has traditionally been hesitant to chill speech and the prospect of chilling parody by imprisoning practitioners <laughs> provides equal cause for caution. What may be difficult to communicate or understand when factually reported may be poignant and powerful if offered in satire. And then they quote a case where the court wrote, the last thing we need, the last thing the First Amendment will tolerate is a law that lets public figures keep people from mocking them. One of your rights as an American citizen under the First Amendment is speech. And they've recognized a long time ago that you should be allowed to speak about those in power. Politicians are one thing. Police department, government, whatever department you want to do. If you want to actually poke a little fun at the Supreme Court, knock yourself out. And by the way, that is one of the things they're doing here. The Onion, very seriously, is cracking jokes in a brief to the Supreme Court to prove a point. And despite the fact that this is one of the funniest things I've ever read, it's also one of the most serious things I've ever read.
And the idea that the police can retaliate against somebody because they put up a Facebook page mocking them, uh, that is chilling. And so as The Onion writes, The Onion intends to continue its socially valuable role, bringing the disinfectant of sunlight into the halls of power. And it would vastly prefer that sunlight not be measured out to its writers in 15-minute increments in an exercise yard. (laughs) The petition for search be granted, the rights of the people vindicated, and various historical wrongs remedied. The Onion would welcome any one of the three, particularly the first. That's it. Respectfully submitted. And it's signed by two attorneys, Stephen J. Van Stempvoort and D. Andrew Portinga, from a law firm in Grand Rapids, Michigan called Miller Johnson. And I salute the law firm for doing this too. Because I assure you that other people have approached this law firm before and said, we want to go to the U.S. Supreme Court and take this to the Supreme Court. And number one, just to file something with a court to do it right takes a lot of money and a lot of determination. But the fact that these attorneys signed on to this and recognized what the Onion wanted to do is great. And so like I said, it's funny, and it's the onion talking about something, but they're talking about something very, very serious. And getting back to what happened to Anthony Novak, he put up a page making fun of the local police department. Now, was the page funny? Yeah, funny, humorous in the eye of the beholder, right? But it was clearly a parody page. It was not the official page. Now, the police department says, we got a couple phone calls. A couple people called us and said, is this real? Did those people really need to be told it wasn't real? Or were they calling the police department and say, hey, someone's making fun of you? Because that's what I think it really was. I think people saw the page and said, oh, that's not right. I wonder if the police know about this. So they called the police. I would love to hear the phone calls if they were recorded. I'd love to hear them to see what the people actually said when they called. Did they call and say, I'm confused. Are you guys really running a program for sex offenders to become honorary cops if they can solve a couple puzzles? Are you guys really doing that? Or did the phone call say, hey, someone's making fun of you guys on Facebook? I'm just asking the question because I think it's important. But here's the deal. The Supreme Court will make a decision on whether or not to take up this case. And so they might not. They might not. But if they don't, Then we've got this case law out of the Sixth Circuit, which, by the way, is a circuit that I'm in because I'm in Michigan. Uh, Michigan, Ohio, and Kentucky uh, are in that circuit. Uh, And so this case law will be hanging out there. And going forward, people who do parody in the Sixth Circuit may have to actually say, disclaimer, this is parody. Uh, These are jokes. This is not literally true. This is not literally true. Uh, Just in case uh, you're curious... um, Point, counterpoint, my computer totally hates me versus, God, do I hate that bitch. (laughs) And one side of it is Vicky saying my computer totally hates me. And the other side, God, do I hate that bitch, is being expressed by a Dell computer. Now, do you really need to be told that a computer didn't write an op-ed piece saying how much it hates its operator? (laughs) And so... That's the point. The point is that they should be allowed to make fun of people as they see fit at The Onion. And, and uh, Anthony Novak should be allowed to put up a page mocking the police department in Parma, Ohio. So 
I got to let you know that I'll put the link to the actual brief. And by the way, I'm just going to let you know, when someone told me this brief existed, I believed it existed. When I read it, I believed that The Onion wrote it. But I still went to the Supreme Court side to make sure that they actually filed it. Because that's what makes it perfect. That's that's perfection. So a lot of people thought when The Onion shifted to being on the internet, because at one point in time it was a print newspaper, that they were going to have a hard time competing. And then I realized when they did this, no, these guys win. This is, this is the ultimate expression of what The Onion does. So it was sent to me by several people who, for whom I thank uh, for sending this. There's a whole bunch of prepositions in there. Uh, Paige, Adam, Rick, Josie, Dan, Michael, and Scott. Thank you very much. Questions or comments, put them below. Otherwise, I'll talk to you later. Bye-bye. Thank you for watching Leto's Law. If I were stranded on a desert island, what book would I bring? How to build a boat.